Welcome to Pod at the Montecito, the world's premier podcast discussing the hit NBC television show Las Vegas. I'm one of your hosts, Judson Clark. I'm your other host, Edmund McCarthy, and uh, I mean, I have a little bit of debate with calling it a hit TV show after the uh, episode we just watched, but we'll, uh, we'll see about the rest of it. I think it's presumed from our audience that I mean that at the time it was a hit NBC television show. Mm, touche. Clearly it's not anymore since Peacock refuses to do the right thing. Yeah, I got a, uh, it, it is November 1st, got the monthly, hey, here's what's coming to Peacock email. Is Crossing Jordan on it now? Uh, no. Uh, okay. Season 8 of The Blacklist has been added. So there's, Thank God. you know, plenty of Blacklist for you. Uh, they've got a new Saved by the Bell coming out. Killed me. Yeah. The, no, no, uh, no Las Vegas yet. Still, inexplicably. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. First and foremost, two monkeys and a priest walk into a bar okay. is without a doubt the hardest setup in comedy. <laughs> I spent fully three weeks. I consulted so many resources. I did come up with a joke that my wife will not let me put on uh, the permanency of the Internet, which I will share with you offline. But so, I'm so you have your actual funny joke that you're not going to be able to use. Correct. And I won't even say while we're recording this for fear that somehow it will get put into the published world. Probably safe. And even that one, I don't think was actually very good. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to concede the bet. I tried and nothing doing. So hats off to you, sir. You have some space bucks coming your way. He beats me straight up. Pay him. Pay that man his money. That is five space bucks for your boy. Judson, you're still in a, a commanding lead, so I wouldn't I wouldn't take too much of a too much sadness from this, but I, I applaud just go ahead and surrendering on that one. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta cut your losses. Yeah. Big news out of New Zealand this week. Uh, we're just seven weeks away from the Prada America's Cup World Series and Christmas race. Big AC seventy five news. Wanna make sure we didn't get scooped on that. Even more importantly, <laughs> Go ahead. I just, I realize we're already doing a extremely niche podcast. Yep. I assume what you were just talking about was a boat race of some kind. Indeed. Okay. Is that, is there a high correlation in the Las Vegas fandom to yacht racers? Well, I was more referencing the sports night bit where Danny wants to make sure they don't get scooped three years in advance of the world of the uh, America's Cup. Italy has developed a new 140% Genoa, but the IRC says it may not meet specs because of a bolt in the backstay. Honest to God, I have no idea what sport you're talking about. Dan's talking about the rough and tumble, live in the razor's edge, run till you drop, never say die world of offshore yacht racing. Time for the America's Cup? We're only a year and a half away. I don't want to get scooped, but we can probably postpone our coverage for, I guess, like a year and a half, can't we? I mean, it's it's going to be a hot commodity. Here's the thing, because if you're not, especially after the last episode, if you're not also a fan of Sports Night, you are not a fan of this podcast, full stop. You're at least very confused by the majority yeah. of the drops. Last episode was 20% Sports Night drops, 80% commentary, and I'll stand by it. I mean, Sorkin's hot right now. He's got that new Netflix movie out. He does? Yeah, the Chicago 7 trial or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Do need to clear something up from last week. I think we talked, or maybe even two weeks ago, we weren't sure if Josh Dumel actually had hurt himself playing basketball. Well, there's the answer to that. Let me try this again. I, I was very sure that it was a Megatron-related injury. We weren't sure if Josh had actually hurt himself or if it was just a plot device. But no, he had. He blew out his Achilles playing pickup basketball, and they what? wrote that into the script. Was he playing basketball with and or against Transformers? No, but now I'm going to need you to build a power, a starting five of Transformers. Go. Ooh. I mean, you've got, you've got to have Optimus as your, your coach on the floor. And he's in the five, right? Because he's a big, he's a big motherfucker. Well, we're going to, we're going to use him as a stretch four. You got to get okay. uh, Unicron or whatever the super giant Transformer is. There's, sure. There's your five. Is Bumblebee Bumblebee's your point. Bumblebee's yeah. your point guard. I feel like Starscream is going to be your shooting guard. He's a, he's good, but he's also going to be like a James Harden. He's going to control the ball. Maybe, sure. uh, he's, he's got a little Harden and Russ to him. So that, that'll be a fun little combo. So you also gotta be worried. You get him the ball. You may not see it again. Yeah. 
He's okay. he's getting his shots. He's looking. He's going to clear the stats. floor and go ISO. I feel like for your small forward, give me a give me Soundwave. He's he's okay. not a talker. He's not going to cause trouble. He's he's going to defend well. He's going to be your kind of lockdown three and D, a Bruce Bowen type, if you will. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that. I thought you were going to just straight say that Bruce Bowen in the three, and we we're going to make it canon that he was actually a transformer. Bruce Bowen actually turns into a nineteen eighty four Ford Pinto. Yeah, well, we all know that's Tim Duncan. What he turns into. Tim Duncan is a 1965 Ford F-150 that has 300,000 miles on it and still runs like a fucking dream. Now, I know we're getting a little long here in our cold open, but we need to talk about something. You sent me a text message. It was a group text with you, me, and friend of the pod, Tyler Green, about a new game sweeping the Venetian floor called Super Baccarat. Super Baccarat. Sounds great. Tell me more. I can't. What do you mean? They sent you an email specifically advertising it. They did, and it had a link and everything. And when you click the link, it takes you to the generic table games page. And there's nothing about Super Baccarat. But obviously, I'm I'm not one to just give up. I, I started searching on the internet for anything I could find about Super Baccarat. Nothing, Judson. This is infuriating. They teased me with the idea of something called Super Baccarat, and I can find nothing about it it is infuriating i even looked today because i figured okay it's been a minute they just hadn't gotten with their webmaster hadn't updated the web page surely by now i'll be able to learn more about super baccarat no it it doesn't exist as far as the internet's concerned if you have played super baccarat please hit us up on twitter montecito pod i have to know pod at the montecito at gmail.com there's ways of getting a hold of us we need this information and I need it shot directly into my veins. What do you think it could be, Ed? What's the best case and what's the worst case? The best case is some sort of, you have your standard player banker, but then there's there's now a third entry somehow. There's there's a final boss behind the bank. I don't know okay. what it is. I don't know how it works, but that's what I'm, I'm hoping it is something genuinely game-changing. My actual prediction is it is a lower limit version that you're going to have a bunch of, like, the goofy blackjack-type props on. Yeah. So I think that's the most realistic outcome. I think Super Baccarat will be of no actual value to us. Right. In my deep, Especially because it came out in 2020. So 2020 is the year of, oh, that looks cool. No, it's not. It's actually the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not only not cool, but it will also kill you. Right. My best-case scenario, and I think within the realm of possibilities, is that it's like Punto Banco, the Baccarat where you play mm. against a play, like a player gets to be the bank and the bank rotates around the table. But they knew that if they went foreign language, it was not going to sell well in America. I mean, look, don't write in people. I know Baccarat is not English, but <laughs> it's not obviously a foreign language like Punto Banco is. So I think that is maybe what is going on here. I don't know. I, I think your your idea is somewhat kind of where I was going. Yeah. Which, so. by the way, I am fucking here for. Because if y'all haven't read up on how that game is played, it is wild. The TLDR is somebody says, yeah, I'll bank the bets up to a certain amount. And going in table order, each player gets to say whether or not they'll play for that amount. If it goes all the way through the table and no one will, then the table can pool their resources to take on the banking player. It's outstanding. I am all the way here for that. I, I love this, but also... Ooh, I think man. Chemin de Fer is what it's called in France. Mm. Something like that. Conceptually, I love it, but I also kind of hate the idea of taking other people's money when the casino should be your enemy. I don't like it when we're talking about like playing with people I know. But, well, obviously. But in a broad concept, we all know that the Baccarat table could get quite antagonistic as it is. <laughs> And I'm here for, let's dispense with the pleasantries. Let's tear down this facade. You and it I... It's an actual game of war. Sure. You and I never actually sit down at a Baccarat table looking for a fight. We just seem to find them coming to us and we'll be their Huckleberry. I'm your Huckleberry. That's just my game. Except if Val Kilmer got immediately shot in the face in that scene. Every single time. <laughs> Correct. Well, I think we've put this off about as long as we can. 
I'm afraid, my friend, it's time to talk about season one, episode 13, The Night the lights went out in Vegas. Why can't you see what you're doing to me? What you're doing to me? You know the first crime of this show is they name it that. Obviously a reference to a, a fantastic old Reba McIntyre song. And you get no Reba McIntyre. Especially on the heels of Brooks and Dunn. Right? We could have had a little country thing going. It's fruit. It's a great song. Right when it the show opened, I thought, oh man, our little hiatus there fucked everything up. This is their Halloween episode. It's spooky season because you have a wolf howling, then immediately music that felt kind of like Christmas music. Yeah. I know it wasn't, but it was putting out that Christmas vibe. It was It was not the, the spooky season vibe that you were hoping to continue. Although, no. and, and again, we are recording this on November 1. Halloween was last night. Thematically fit in well. Yeah, that's true. I also noticed that the episode had aired the 26th of January. So maybe from a production standpoint, it was their spooky season. But as it was shown on TV, it was not. Mm -hmm. So that's at least we didn't fuck things up. The staff is bored. There are no customers. And I want to say this up front so we don't have to say it a whole bunch. You got to suspend some disbelief in this episode. A lot of disbelief. Ed, this place is deader than it is at 5 a.m. on a Wednesday. Yeah, I I had forgotten how dead it started out because my first thought is, man, there is nobody here. And instantly, Large Ed confirmed that with his his place of dead cell. A couple years ago, we were at the Palazzo while it was basically being renovated. Uh, The casino part it was. The the suites were obviously normal. But the casino floor was basically being renovated. They had like all the bars, but one were closed. A couple pits. It was busier at 5 a.m then the Montecito is ostensibly in prime time. Not great. Not a good look. Up in security, Mitch, who I think this is the first time he gets called Mitch. Uh, I thought we did that before because I feel okay. like we've had this conversation before, but it's, well, we're, Mitch is becoming is a an flat actual, circle. Mitch is an actual person. Here. Yeah, and Mitch gets developed. He has some character here. He's doing uh, little twirls in his wheelchair, cracking jokes with Ed. They're going to have a little fight. Ed likes beating up on people in wheelchairs. Who doesn't? Well, I, Ed, because that is uncouth. Uh, it's somewhat couth. Did Ed pull Mike upstairs just for someone new to talk to? 100%. Ed was bored, and so he figured he would call Mike up. So here's the thing. Ed's not the head of security anymore. Why didn't he just wander out of security and go do literally anything else? That is an excellent question. Anyway, we learned that there's a full moon, which there also was last night as we record this. Spooky. So, yeah, thank you for that. You're Never unhear that. Uh, Mike is losing his shit over it. He's big believer in the magic of the full moon, the curse of it, what have you. Also learned that David Copperfield is making the Hoover Dam disappear. That seems dangerous to me. So he actually had a uh, show where he made the Statue of Liberty disappear. And the reason I mentioned that is because as recently as last week, I referenced David Copperfield making the Hoover Dam disappear as if it was a thing that had actually happened in the real world and not in an episode of Las Vegas. And I had not yet watched this episode. And up until this morning, when I watched it again, would have sworn in court under penalty of perjury that there at some point David Copperfield had a special where he allegedly made the Hoover Dam disappear. No, not not true. Hmm. Just yeah. just a bit for the episode. Yep. And that has seeped into my conscious and won't leave. So it's always good to realize your brain has been poisoned in various ways. Yeah. I have a terrible memory, but somehow I've remembered something from 2004 that didn't actually exist. That's good. You got to you got to use the brain space valuably. There's no evidence to support that. <laughs> See this podcast. Right. Mitch gets a call from the check in desk. There's a guy claiming he just escaped from Area 51. And he's looking to speak to the alien in charge, which you could tell the writing room thought that was a really funny bit because they'll use it three times during this episode. Spoiler alert, not a funny bit. Oh, I thought you were going to say there was no alien. I'm not going to presume that there was or was not. Just because we didn't see an alien doesn't mean there wasn't one, Ed. That's true. Take my word for it. There's no Area 51. (laughs) There's no recovered spaceship. Oh, excuse me, Mr. President. That's not entirely accurate. Danny gets tasked with chasing this guy down, which interrupts Nessa flirting with him about seeing the sights of Vegas for the fourth time, fifth time we've gone at this well. I I feel like the, what's the word I'm looking for? 
the the facade of the seeing the sights has been dropped at this point. Nessa was trying to bone down in the pit. Like I think she was going to push him onto an empty table and ride him like a bucking bronco. <laughs> Like she was in full on. We don't have time for a room. Do me right here, Danny. Yeah, that was a uh, a, a quite horny scene. Unfortunately for Marsha Thompson, she was not the subject of Danny's contractual kiss this episode. So that gets broken off. He's run off. We get to see Sam, who's exhausted, having spent forty eight hours with some clients, a pair of brothers who fly out thrice yearly to play craps for forty hour forty eight hours straight. If we could which we can't, I reviewed the language beforehand. I would devote the rest of this podcast, you and I talking about these two brothers and what it must be like, A, to be them, or B, to be at a table with them. I have so many questions. I, yes. I And honestly, I'm not against us just dropping the rest of the episode and exploring the Resnick brothers in their full glory, whom we so never Sam see. So Sam says she took caffeine pills. How much coke are these guys doing? They fly in. Craps for 48 hours and they leave. Quote, they only stop for bathroom breaks. All of it? Yeah. All, like, all of the coke. Like Scarface levels of cocaine. Yes. They, okay. The only bag they brought is a duffel bag full of that sweet, sweet yayo, as the kids say. Okay. If they're only playing craps, why do they need a casino host with them? We've talked about this in the past that you and I don't really understand the allure of having a casino host right next to us at all times, but especially them. Yeah. I got nothing for you unless it is a good luck charm type deal. I want to take this a different different direction. Aside from cocaine, what sort of outlandish asks are they making at the craft table that Sam has to be there to either deliver or diffuse? Please go to craft steak and get me a four course meal. Bring it yeah, to the brought, craft table. Just brought me to up. me by strippers. Yeah, just set me up right here. Skype me, Skype me into David Copperfield show. Do you think they get like high tables brought over so they could turn around and eat while they're at the craps table? There you go. Now we're now we're talking. Holy shit. And like, OK, so it's you and me. We're at the craps table. Obviously, we're not going to eat while one of us is shooting. That's preposterous. Yeah, that's foolish. But if someone else is shooting, do you think like, all right, Ed, you eat and I'll and call out your bets. But like, I'll actually manage the placement of the chips. You got to think the Resnick brothers are pros. They're not going to be making amateur moves like reaching over with you know a fork full of steak i i think there is uh, there's two things one i think you've got enough time to if it's right there you you can turn and burn real quick get yourself a bite fire your bets the other thing is as as we've discussed many times craps dealers are easily the best and certainly the most helpful of sure all dealers they will they're often looking out for you and that's when you're scrubs like you and me making sure you know if you've made the same bet a lot of times and maybe you're a little slow on it, they're either going to prompt you or say, hey, you meant that, right? Usually looking out for you. Now you get guys at this level, there's probably some rapport there. Yeah, I mean, you're notorious for taking six hours to finish a meal, so I can understand you're being fine with taking a bite every nine minutes. <laughs> Whereas me, I think I'm going to sit back, I'm going to have a good view of the table, but, you know, faced away from it, and I'm just going to try and get that shit down ASAP and I'm just going to tell you what I want and have you place the bets for me. It's, I, I think that both reasonable plans. Okay. My final question on, on this thread, they're playing crabs for 48 hours straight. What happens when the tables cool off at like three, four in the morning when everything, you know, sort of contracts down to a table or two, if they get a cold table, even if they want to power through it, they may get in a situation where they're the only two rolling. That's rough. My God, that's the fucking, I mean, marathoners talk about hitting a wall. That's the craps wall right there. How do you get over that wall? Holy shit. Yeah, that I, I while I conceptually like the idea of a 48 hour craps bender, there's a lot of logistical problems. And you're also, I think, more than any other game, in my opinion, there's the ephemera around it that is so important to a good time. You know, you and I, me and Tyler, the three of us have routinely been the only ones at a blackjack or craps table or sorry, blackjack or baccarat table and able to sustain the fun all on our own. At a crafts table, though, yikes, that's that's a tough ask. Yeah, you, it's it's hard to get hype. You're, you're not mobbing with two or three people on a crafts table. No, no. So pour one out for the Resnick brothers. We'll never hear from them again, but they're, they're the real heroes. And at thrice yearly, I think we should have gotten to see them again during this five-year run. For sure. 
Sam, it turns out, is another believer of the full moon club. Tells Nessa she hasn't been here long enough to know that Vegas goes crazy at every full moon, which happens every 29 days. And and we've established that Nessa's been here for a while, so... At least a month. <laughs> I get our bit of time has no meaning in Las Vegas, but Jesus Christ, she's been here for a full moon before. Yeah, you would you would think that this is not the first time it's come up. The big news, though, playing into your belief that Sam is a lover of all things magic... Apparently she done fucked David Copperfield. Let's just say I uh, christened his houseboat. I thought David Copperfield was pretty old. Yes, maybe, probably. Uh, we could look it up, but what's the fun in that? Sure. I Like if it was Chris Angel, it would seem like a more time, uh, a better window for it. I was, I was surprised that that was the route they went. Well, it turns out Delinda was also about to fuck David Copperfield. Invited to be his first private guest, but... Somehow was taking her sweet ass time and getting out to Lake Mead. That's sort of a weird thing. I mean, Hoover Dam's big. You ought to be able to see it disappear from pretty far away. I, I guess. It goes back to my thing about, you know, when we go to a, get a cabana at a pool party, we're there when the fucking pool opens. If I'm a private guest, David Copperfield, I'm going to be there like, okay, so on the boat at 4 p.m., does that work? Free drinks? I assume there's some crudite and other hors d'oeuvres being passed around. You know, people enjoy life in different ways. We, we like to extract as much goodness from a situation as possible. Delinda, more jokes on a podcast. <laughs> Delinda, obviously more fleeting in all things, so. Yeah. And right before we hit the opening credits, turns out Mary wants to get to the bottom of where she and Danny stand. And as he's on his mission to go find the Area 51 escapee in the elevators, she follows him in. You want to just hit the button now? Yeah, it's a bad Mary episode. <laughs> oh, buddy, this is this is the epitome of bad Mary episode. Good night. Whoa, bad Mary episode. Whoa, bad Mary episode. It's a bad Mary episode. A very bad Mary episode. Also, bad cargo parachute pants, Mary. Burn. <laughs> is that a new drop you think we'll need, or is this a one-off? I don't recall a lot of cargo pants in the in the closet, but. For some reason, with seeing those just hit me very hard as being hilarious. She does let on uh, to the fact that there's this rumor that Danny and Sam are sleeping together, which he adamantly denies. So I guess two questions. Do we believe him? Yes. Second question. So they just were, in fact, stargazing at that random park? I think so. I, I, feel, like, I feel like if they were going to bang that the show would have given us that. Not an actual scene, but it would have been very obvious that they had. Fair enough. The the second trip up to Sam's room would have been much better for Danny. Well, right before the break, security sees images of a gun on the floor right before the lights went out in Vegas. That's that's and the night that friends. they shot an innocent man. Thank you, Reba. That's the night that the lights went out in Georgia. I like that we got several like lingering shots on different people. You had shady Area 51 guy. You had a guy who just looked kind of shady who we are soon, soon to learn got got. We had yeah. blonde in a little black dress winking at Danny as he's heading to the elevator with Mary. I feel like we got another zoom in on a guy maybe at a blackjack table. It was it Yeah, was, I mean there's like 25 people in the casino and we get to see all of them. Yeah, we, right here in the last minute. Some very, like, CBS procedural lingering shots that these are people of note. Right. Heads up, you might want to track this person. They could be important. Yeah. So when we come out of credits, we're basically faced with a, a three-set bottle episode. Things are going to take place in security. They're going to take place on the casino floor. And they're going to take place in this godforsaken elevator. I think we should... It's going to make it impossible to talk about if we're jumping around in chronological order. So I think every time we got a commercial break, let's come out of it. Let's eat our vegetables. Talk about the bad rom-com happening in the elevator. Get that out of the way and then move forward. What do you say? Sounds like a plan, brother. All right. So Danny and Mary, they're stuck in the elevator. They've got a silent man who just smiles and stares at them in a creepy fashion. We get the first of the many mentions of the phrase make love, which when Mary and Danny say it for some reason makes my skin crawl. I don't know why. I was the same it's way. Just, I, I, it was something about the initial. We made love, Danny. Like, ugh. yeah. It's like, no, you banged once. Gross. Chill. Yeah, you were eighteen. You probably didn't make love. 
whatever. That's fine. So the thing that makes this a premiere Bad Mary episode is that she takes it upon herself to tell the story of Mary Danny to Mr. Smiley Face Man, as she calls him, which is obviously just a passive aggressive for Danny's benefit retelling of their life story. And look, her principal beef is she thinks Danny said he loved her just to fuck her and then having secured his prize, moved on. And, and by moved on, of course, you mean he went on his marine journey. Yes. I think reasonable people can disagree about whether or not she has legit beef. I think it's legit-ish. Her delivery, though, could not be worse. Yeah. At, at one point, we get the line of, oh, I didn't know there was a statute of limitations on feelings or whatever. Because this happened five years ago. Uh, Danny and Mary hooked up the day before he was leaving on deployment. It's not like he they hooked up and then he was like, cool, I'm going to head down to the local recruiting office. That was fun. Like, it was already in the works. He was getting on the plane. Yeah, so the five-year thing brings up an interesting point. So we know that Danny's worked for Ed for three years, right? That, didn't we establish it was a three-year? Yes, I believe that's correct. I guess Danny went to college first because we'll later learn that Danny's a officer in the Marines. If we don't already, we'll learn that he is. He's, I believe, at this point, first or at least second lieutenant, Daniel McCoy. That sounds right. He was only in the Marines for two years? I guess quick get in, get out Afghanistan tour. Um, so then in that case, they banged at 22, 21, like post-college? Uh, sure. I don't know. I just, this all feels... The math, feels the math like is the writers are Yeah, they're kind of just right as they go. But whatever. So the punchline is, through this little series of uh, scenes... Mary's upset. She thinks Danny said, I love you just to bang down. And whenever they say make love, we both want to vomit. Did I miss anything? No, I think that uh, that checks out. Great. So back to the somewhat tolerable parts of this episode. Up in security, Ed and Mitch are trying to troubleshoot the problem. You know, they've lost lights. All the cameras came down. Mike is banging on the two-inch steel door. He's obviously losing his shit. On the casino floor, the women are huddled around the dead dude. And we've got a, another little mirror here where two people, Ness and Delinda, are pretty, you know, pragmatically approaching the situation. And the third person losing their shit. This time, Sam. We're starting to get a little uh, little glimpse that she's coming unglued. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we had heard that she's been up for 48 hours straight, has been taking caffeine pills to stay awake. You could you could see that the uh, the edges are a little frayed here. Delinda and Nessa extremely calm. They handled it real well, watching <laughs> with the fact that somebody just got shot right next to them. And by the way, so is everyone else in the casino staff. What limited guests there were, like I'm not too proud to say this. If I saw somebody get shot in a casino floor, I would not be maintaining a cool and calm demeanor. Yeah, no, I'm sprinting for the front door. I'm, I'm trying to get the fuck out of Dodge. And there's no amount of like, I'm sorry, the power went out. So we have sealed the building. No, no, no. Those doors no. are glass. I'm picking up a trash can, getting the fuck out. That's not. Oh, yeah. And Nessa says that security automatically sealed the building when the power went out. Now, where are they? Where will they be for the rest of the goddamn episode? You've got Nessa and Delinda quarterbacking ostensibly a security issue, neither a gambling nor a hospitality issue. Where the fuck security and all of this? Yeah, you would think there would have been somebody on the floor. Right? I don't know. Seems awfully convenient, but a lot does in this episode. So we'll move on. Mitch gets the infrared working, which he uses to identify the women. It's not It's not how infrared works. Like, what? Un unless they all have QR codes that are <laughs> infrared readable. I don't think that's how that works. And... They've established video IQ. Just, I mean, we don't have to know how video IQ works. Just say video IQ picked them up on infrared. Okay. Sure. Move on. Instead, showing us three hot blobs in the rest of no other person registering a heat signature. There, we, we've established that the girls are all very attractive on the show. And obviously and the, the term and hotness. Therefore, they're the only ones that radiate heat. Correct. Hotness correlates to actual body temperature, apparently. And all 21 other people are literally dead. And just gross looking. <laughs> well, we got, the, we got Blondie. You think she'd have a heat signature? Yes, she would. So Sam's freaking out. She's full on losing her shit. Convinced that Delinda and Nessa are conspiring against her. Delinda and Nessa come across a Neiman Marcus credit card in his wallet. In the dead guy's wallet. 
but this must be one of those fancy credit cards that doesn't have a name on it. Yeah, they also had his ID to find out he's a Las Vegas local. But later on, they're going to be relaying this information to Ed and skip his name. Feel like that was some important information. Uh, I guess since they knew the power was down, it's not like you could run his name anyway. So why even bother? Yeah, I guess. But you'd think Ed would be like, hey, what's his fucking name? Yep. Yes, you would. Delinda has a phrase here that I like, a line that she says. Sleep deprivation and caffeine pills will do it every time. How many times has Delinda married these two up together? I would not be surprised if maybe not caffeine pills themselves, but uppers of some form on a long bender. She She's probably had some fun nights in Ebitha. <laughs> D- Delinda, Delinda knows what she's talking about here. But also, don't you only take caffeine pills when you're experiencing sleep deprivation? Isn't that their raison d'etre? Oh, I just got 11 hours of sleep last night, feeling pretty good. Let me pop some caffeine tabs real quick. That'll get the old juices going. Hard, hard to say. CF has another line I love. If this is a CIA-sanctioned hit, then that means that Mr. Ed never left the CIA, and this whole casino thing is just a cover. CIA front. <laughs> So apparently the CIA was infiltrated by a talking horse. I know. I think it's been made pretty clear my feelings on how this episode goes. I will say I loved Sam in this episode. And more well, let me be more clear. I love what Vanessa Marcel did in this episode as Sam. I thought she played it Agreed. incredibly. Agreed. The Ed's Ed's the puppet master line just killed me. She had a lot of good lines. But but speaking of great. You've got an old lady plugging away at her slot machine. I'm really glad the slots are on the emergency generator. <laughs> Only the, the one, though. Only the one. Yeah, it starts out as just the one, but later on we see another bank of them on. That that seemed like a, perhaps not a necessary uh, function that the power generator... I don't know. That seems to. like an essential function to me. We never hear the slot machine go off like it's paying a winner. So, first of all, I think that's a missed comedy opportunity for the episode. But secondly, presumably she's just losing she's just, the entire time. She's just pumping quarters, man. And while she's doing that, she's pumping dollars, man. That's a dollar machine she's on. Mm. Mike's trying to figure, his, figure out a way to get out via an HVAC duct, which will... We, we've got a little bit of uh, Chekhov's HVAC duct. We'll, we'll see that again later. But Vanessa Marcel is being shot in some real Blair Witch shit style. As Sam is fully losing her mind, she breaks the fourth wall, looking at the camera, worrying that she's a Manchurian candidate. <laughs> it is absolutely fantastic. But why are Delinda and Nessa fine letting her flip out for their amusement? They even talk about, like, we should treat her for shock. Nah, this is better. That's precisely why, because it's fucking hilarious to them. Nessa is loving watching Sam. You know, Sam is usually very put together, very knows what she's doing. And here she's just losing her mind. And so they're going to get a little enjoyment out of this. Seems like a real bad friend moment. It also seems like a bad moment when there's a killer in the room with you. Yes, but Sam is being fun. So why would you worry about the killer? Of course. Before we hit the commercial break, we pan the crowd shot. Again, real real procedural style. Everyone's being suspicious, looking at each other sideways, except for Granny, plugging away at those slots. You know me, Ed. I froze the tape. How's she she's doing? At the do- she's at the dollar machine. She's only playing one credit at a time, which we know is bad slot strategy. We're, we're, we are not slotsmen, as has been established, but you got you to gotta max line that, baby. Got to do that max credits. But the good news is she's got 250 credits, so plenty of ammunition to see her through this power outage. At, at least she'll have something to do for the next half hour. Okay, time to eat some more vegetables. We come out of the commercial. Let's get the elevator shit out of the way. We're getting the prom story. They went to prom together. Mary wanted to bone. They didn't bone. Danny bought her her first real dress, which she's kept, and asked Danny, is that pathetic or what? Yes. <laughs> yes, Mary, that's pathetic that you kept it. It's not your fucking wedding dress. Why Why do you still have that? Maybe Danny bought a really nice dress. Once again, she accuses him of fleeing Las Vegas instead of calling it what it is, joining the Marines. <laughs> he was deployed to Afghanistan in wartime. But yes, it's really just abandoning you, Mary. Jesus. But here's where it goes from being just a bad Mary up. Bad Mary episode. To being a bad Danny up as well. Danny pulls off, pulls this bullshit line out of his pocket of accusing Mary of building him up to the point 
where all he could do is fail. Mary calls him out on his bullshit, though, which I actually really love twice. She's like, fuck you. That's not that's not real. And also, what's with the fact that you could fuck anyone you want, but you're always being protective of me. You're always controlling what I do and can't do. And every time I get with a guy, you're jealous as hell, which we talked about in earlier episodes. I'm glad that Mary finally is calling it out because Danny is really shitty toward Mary. Yeah, I I think that was a good call out. But I also just can't get over the fact that this whole thing is just Mary is sad she's been friend-zoned for the last five years and am so fucking over it. Goddamn. So did you have the thought that maybe the writer's room knew that this was a grating thread and if they just fucking made us smoke all the cigarettes at one time, we would stop being addicted to nicotine? I I think that the show Friends ruined television because now everybody has to have a Ross and Rachel and this is their version of it and come hell or high water, they're going to run with it. And, you know. I'm hopeful that this is going to be sort of, I, I know we're never going to be totally past it, but that this will be the final sort of Mary being upset about it like this all the time. Yeah, this this should rip the Band-Aid. Yeah, this is the catharsis. The big revelation from this act is that Mary expected them to get married and live happily ever after, and she's been harboring these feelings the entire time. Danny thinks it's just about the time they fucked, but no, she's felt this way since their first kiss in fourth grade. And then Danny, as if saying, hey, I'm going to destroy you from the inside out for a second. When she asks, so what do we do now? He says, well, we can still be friends. And she literally crumples in half crying. Yeah. Holy shit, Danny. I... The correct answer was silence or I don't know, not, well, we can be friends. I, I mean, at the same time, that that is the correct answer, so. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I thought what was funnier, though, is right before that, he goes, look, we made love one time, thinking that that was going to be the uh, the balm to get himself out of this. It's like, Danny, that's, that's not going to help you, bud. That's, uh, got to read the room there, Super Chief. Obviously, we, we have seen that this is not Danny's strength. For sure. No. No, it is not. So now that that's over, we're in security. They're still in the one camera, but Ed has forcibly detained Mike and is going to make him work on getting the rest of the cameras up. Ed making a joke to Mike that he used to detain and torture people for a living. Mike tells him it's not funny, which Ed agrees with. I would be like, no, you're wrong, Mike. Like, I get that you're having a claustrophobic episode here, but that was a, that was a good joke. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. They make contact with the floor via these hidden walkie-talkies that both sides happen to find at exactly the same time. Yeah, what a, what a great, oh, you know what we have all at the same time. By the way, Nextel put on blast, rip Nextel. Yeah, like five times. <laughs> I, I, was this the last episode before they switched over to iPhones or something? I don't know, but they were, they were not afraid to drop the name in a disparaging way. No, and you got to think the Nextel liaison, when he heard about how many times their brand was going to get dropped in the episode, was rubbing his hands together. Oh, yeah. Come to daddy. Hi, daddy. Going to get that brand recognition going. They missed the part where they're going to shit on Nextel the entire time. Any any pub is good pub? I guess. I mean, maybe this is what killed Nextel, though. Mm, could It could be. So this is, again, where the women relay the information up to Ed about the victim, that he has a Neiman Marcus credit card. Arguably better publicity than Nextel. Uh, the lack of a name, confounding. The fact that Ed doesn't say anything, also confounding. But that's fine. To your point, you're right. What were they going to do with that information? I mean, the computers were down. Yeah, it still does seem poor, poor OPSEC at the very least. I want to talk about Sam again. Because again, she's one of the best parts about the episode. But also she's beating her head against the pillar while trying to think her way out of the situation. And all I could think of is, man... To have a low-grade concussion instead of having to watch this episode. Boy, how nice would that be? If, if those happen to be the brain cells that you've destroyed so that you just lose all memory yeah. of it. Yeah. She's convinced everyone but her isn't on it. All two dozen of them. And so the, they're obviously going to kill her next, which, I mean, if A is true, then B. Hard, hard, okay. I, it's really hard to argue with the logic. She freaks out, stumbles over a trash can, knocks it to the ground, and out spills Chekhov's revolver. Always good to find the gun early. We've got yeah, we've got at least two of the three necessary clue cards. Yeah, a a joke that Dilida makes, and I was thinking they really could have leaned on that a little bit more, and I'm surprised they didn't. So hats off to the writer room for a little bit of discretion in an episode completely lacking it. <laughs> they, it's good. It's good to see they still have that club in the bag, even if it hasn't been used in the last 374 holes. 
So we get a crowd shot again. Still no security anywhere on the floor. We get some creepy breathing off screen made to obviously make us think that's who the killer is. You know, peering through a crack in the door. But let's check in on our old lady. She got felted, Ed. She is out of credits. Mm, damn shame. But she just hit a 22 credit win on her last bowl. It, it, they always keep you coming back for more. Just when you thought she was going to have to go to the pocketbook, Grandma is made in the shade. She'll live to fight another day. We pick up after the commercial break where we left off with the creepy breathing, but not us, Ed. We have some more elevator vegetables to eat. Hooray. Turns out Mary's affection for Danny is at least partly derived from the fact that he beat the shit out of her abusive father. So that's cheerful. It's it at least I think we've had some references to Mary's dad was obviously a shady guy, but this is the I feel like this is the first time we've gotten outright confirmation that he was a very bad dude, abused Mary, Danny beat the shit out of him, his family took her in. We we kind of put all the cards on the table. Yeah, which makes this next part make perfect sense because smiling guy, sleeping in the corner, Mary, emotionally raw. So Danny, of course, moves in for the makeout session. What the fuck? I don't even... So, like, we just did the, we can still be friends. But friends who make out. I mean, the best kind of friends, obviously, but what are you doing? It's just so weird. Look, I know Josh Duhamel's contract got got to get honored, but figure out a different guy for him to make, or a different one for him to make out with this episode. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I, it just, it rubbed me the wrong way. It would have been less preposterous if you'd made out with the sleeping guy in the corner, TBH. God, how much would you hate yourself if you were that guy? Like, you're, tr- you're stuck in an elevator. And these two people won't shut up about their high school romance bullshit. Like, thank God he doesn't speak the language. Are you talking about the character or the actor Christian Seaborn, for whom this is one of his five acting credits? I I was talking about the character, but go ahead and hit me with the rest of uh, Mr. Seaborn's creds. So it's not great. His filmography is lacking. In 1977, he was on a single episode of the TV show Alice, where he played the role of Short man. Yeah, I feel like he's going to get typecast pretty hard here. 1979, on a single episode of Angie, where he played the character Maurice. What? Wow. <laughs> Always a winner. In 1979, he also was in a single episode of WKRP in Cincinnati, where he played the character of Elger Nice. Then he took a 25-year acting hiatus before appearing in Season 1, Episode 13 of Las Vegas, where he played the role of Little Smiling Man. Well, I, I can see why Little Smiling Man was the role to pull him back into the game, because how could you pass this opportunity up? And then finally, a year later, he was worker number one in the movie Diamond Zero. Well, at least he wasn't worker number three. So, do you know IMDb has the section above the filmography where it says, like, known for, where they highlight their, their key roles? Uh-huh. There's four spots. He's in five things. And somehow the hit NBC television show Las Vegas is the one that misses the cut. Ouch. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Q rating of something like Angie is so high here in the year of our Lord 2020. How could you not have that up top? Would you care to guess this gentleman's height? I he looked real short. As a short man myself, I, I'm thinking like five one. Four foot eleven inches. Ooh, wow. That's very short. But if only we had an IMDB pro page, we could get the contact info for his agent and probably get him on the podcast. I, I hope he doesn't actually speak English. I feel like that would be a great segment then. <laughs> well, for all that our listeners know, he is on the podcast right now. <laughs> and he won't stop smiling at me. All right, thanks, Christian. We'll see you next time. Bonjourno. <laughs> it's not delivery. <laughs> so moving past the elevator, we come out of commercial picking up with that creepy breathing. Mike has managed to bring up another camera in security, but it turns out that all he's done is given the mouse a cookie because Big Ed immediately wants more out of him. Not at all appreciating the work that Mike has put in to get him to this stage. Which not really surprising on either end. I did like Mike calling him out for it. And Ed yeah. giving the perfunctory, thank you, Mike, good work. Now, now do the, do other, the other thing, thing. I asked for. <laughs> Which, in Ed's defense, his daughter is in the room with somebody that just murdered someone. So you can understand a lack of patience. I also just think Ed didn't give a shit. I don't think it had anything to do with him being feared uh, or worried about Delinda. I think he was just like, okay, 
cool. Dude, give me more. Also, I don't understand how the power can go out to where one camera stays on. He's rerouting the power from auxiliary. Have you never watched an episode of Star Trek, Ed? I mean, before Mike got number two up. Like, how uh, did we start with one? Because otherwise the episode doesn't go anywhere, Ed. Have you never watched an episode of Las Vegas? And God bless what a savior that would have been. But <laughs> how much how much better this episode would have been if we'd spent 38 minutes hanging out in security with Mike just progressively losing his shit. Power comes back on roll credits. That, that sounds like a much better bottle episode. I feel like bottle episodes I usually tend to enjoy. Yeah. Well, this is a bottle that's taking on water. More like a and battle episode. I thought you were going to go with bottle. Mm. That might have been better. The difference? Your entrance was good. His was better. The difference? Showmanship. Per Ed's instructions, Nessa locks up the murder weapon in what has to be the least secure desk drawer ever. Ed tries to move everyone to the north side of the casino. Again, and this is actually the first time in the episode where it occurred to me, everyone's being surprisingly chill during all of this. Especially at this point, it's gone on for a little while. If I'm a patron, I'm like, look, fuck y'all. Like, you know, where are the cops? Where are the firefighters? Get me out of this fucking building. You're a pit boss. I'm not trying to split sevens for the third time on a hand or something. Like, let me go. Right. You can kick me out of your casino. You can't make me stay. God bless her, though. Old lady, still plugging away. She's back up to 90 credits. On a, on a heater. And looks at Delinda like she's out of her goddamn mind if she thinks she's giving up the hot machine. She got a- I respect it. Yeah. My girl's in a casino. I'm told there's gambling in casinos. Sucks that y'all can't run the blackjack table, but my machine's going. Yeah, I, I, gotta, I finally got all the losses out of the way. The money's coming now. This, this machine is primed. Right. She knows if she gets up, some other old lady's going to sneak up, sneak around the corner and snipe that good, good jackpot. Yeah, that's, oh, that'd be so painful. How great would it be if she, if Delinda gets her to get up and like just on a fluke, drops a coin in, pulls it and jackpots. An old lady comes off the turnbuckle and spear tackles Delinda. The the only way the episode could have gotten worse is if it's your 21st birthday girl was somehow back in the casino. (laughs) Mike has restored Zoom functions. And now he's tasked with setting up a gunpowder residue test, which I thought was a joke. I thought it was Ed being like, you remember this last time I asked you to do something else and you told me to fuck off. But no, Mike's just like, okay, I just need a blacklight. No problem. What? Which it also doesn't seem to be that difficult of a test. It is put a blacklight over somebody's hand and see if anything shows up. In which case, why does da- why does uh, Mike need to get involved at all? Hard, hard to say. Anyway, so Delinda's going to go get a blacklight from the back room of Mystique. Why the fuck was Mystique closed? I'm willing to accept all this other bullshit about how quiet everything was, but when the Copperfield show was over, presumably people were coming back to the casino, right? My, my only thought on it was that when the lights went out, just whoever was there walked out to figure out what was going on. <laughs> and went home? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I got nothing. They got out before security's locked down. I got nothing, man. So it was in the middle of making a flare cocktail. The lights go out. They let the bottle drop. They just book it for the employee exit. I mean, since she was going to the bar part, perhaps like the club, maybe the club just wasn't open yet. Oh, it's too early for instance. Yeah, that's that's actually the theory that would make sense. Okay, I'll buy that. Delinda's being watched by the creepy breather. She hears some commotion, but pushes on. Nessa's trying to get Sam to calm down. Maybe take a nap, which we get another great Sam line. Never trusted her in that English accent. <sighs> That's not her accent. <laughs> That's not her real accent is the one that really got me. And I almost, I would believe it if you told me that Vanessa Marcel was ad-libbing. Because some of these like throwaways were just too perfect to be written by this writing staff. I, I agree with you 100%. I think they said, you know what? Have fun. I hesitate to pit, to pick on this knit, but Delinda's walking back out with the black light. How is it lit up? It's got a power cord. We see the power cord when the light falls. All the lights are off. How is the black light lit? I got nothing for you, man. Was she dragging a 500-foot extension cord that we didn't see? So maybe it was active. She unplugged it. You know how sometimes light bulbs, even when they like light tubes like that, even when they go off, nope. there is a nope. remnant. No, I got no. that's all I got. I got nothing, man. I like this idea that the 
also that the black lights at Mystique have their own backup generator that is functioning while the rest of the hotel does not. Maybe maybe it's battery operated and has a power cord so you don't have to use the battery. Like all the best vibrators are. <laughs> Ed talks Nessa into going to find Delinda, who still isn't back. And for some reason, Nessa gives the walkie to Sam. Why not take it with you, Nessa? Also, again, there's a fucking killer on the loose. Why are you going one by one to get picked off? It did have that horror movie dumbass move vibe to it. It's, oh, just everything in this is so dumb. Except for the line from Sam, I've never trusted those supermodel bitches. That that line also was what convinced me that you're right. That, like, she she pulled that one on the fly out on her own. Yeah. Nessa steps on some broken glass. She walks over to the bar and screams to smash cut. She sees something that terrifies her. We'll get back to this in a second, but what could have possibly terrified her? I mean, since we're going to get to it, we realize that it... Fuck it, let's do it now. Yeah, we we know that the crazy Area 51 guy's in there, and he... And Delinda. And Delinda. I... Uh, I get... What causes her to shriek? The weird hands? I don't know. Yeah. Ed raises Sam on the radio, tasks her with going to Mystique, because, you know... The lemmings fall off a cliff one at a time. Sam's having an episode. Even on video, you can tell she's freaking out. Like the way she's holding the walkie-talkie, she's recoiling from it. Ed knows from talking to Nessa and Delinda that she's not doing well. Doesn't modify his behavior in any way. Talks to her like everything's normal. Up to and including the part where she walks away from Mystique, back to the pit, to rummage through, to break into the desk drawer and fish out the pistol. Whoops. Yeah, maybe not the best plan. We get gunshots to commercial as Sam and Mystique is spooked by something and starts firing blindly. Always a good decision. Yeah, she she pops two off real quick. I mean, I at least applaud the double tap. You gotta, gotta make sure they don't keep charging at For you. For sure. Final commercial break, which means our final time in the elevator to get this out of the way. They're still making out. Danny, not content with the emotional roller coaster he's already put Mary on, Mentions that the only thing he took with him to the Marines was a picture of her. Just sort of a weird, like, hey, this just occurred to me. You know what was funny about my Marine gig? Like, I don't know what he wanted her to say to that. Yeah, that that line made absolutely no sense. Mary blames Danny's fear of commitment on the death of his mother, which if it if it hadn't turned out to be exactly what the problem was, (laughs) I would have thought, Jesus, Mary, you're a huge, huge asshole. I would argue still a huge asshole. Fair. And once again says he joined the Marines because he couldn't handle getting close to her. Okay, Mary. Like, Well, the I think the point was by that time, Mary was living with Danny. Right. And I think it was, I think that's what she was referencing, which, okay, that actually has some semblance of, of logic to it. Which means that there were either he left to go to the Marines right out of high school or commuter college because why would she still be living with them i don't know who knows but danny feeling like he might be getting out assholed in this scene says that he wants things to go back to the way they were or put another way the time when he got to fuck whoever he wanted and have mary waiting in the wings for him i mean of situations to choose that does seem like the ideal one he's not wrong he's just an <laughs> asshole true Insecurity, Mike has figured out a way to get out, but slight hiccup, it requires a laser cutter. No big deal. Ed's got one of those, and it's battery-powered. What the fuck? So when, when Mike mentioned you'd need a, a laser or a saw or something, and Danny er, and Ed tells Mitch to go get his kit, I was expecting like some kind of a cutter of some form. I was not expecting a goddamn James Bond GoldenEye laser Oh, you mean a maglite that he got from Radio Shack? It, that that thing did have extreme... Uh, oh, why can't I remember the name of the store? Comfort something. Sharper Image? Sharper Image. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. That's exactly what I wanted. It had extreme Sharper Image vibes. It's a dead. Uh, Delinda and Nessa are hiding behind the bar with the Area 51 escapee, like we talked about. Never mind the fact that Danny was told he'd gotten into an elevator, but... Okay, whatever. They're waiting to figure out what they're going to do with Sharpshooter Sam, who Delinda thinks has knocked herself out from the kickback. While 
Ed and Mike are crawling through the ducks. It's like, this is kind of like commando school. Mike is not having it at all. Yeah, that that was not the relatable comment that Ed was hoping it would be. No. Which, big surprise. Mike went to MIT. Haven't you heard, Ed? Oh, wow. You'd think they'd have brought that up by now. Sam has, in fact, knocked herself out from the kickback. And Ed cuts through the ducks with his sharper image laser pointer, happens to pop out in Mystique just as the power comes back on. A lot of convenient timing in this episode. Yeah. We're in the elevator for one more second because it starts moving again. Danny cops to, yeah, he's afraid of losing Mary like his dad lost his mother. And Mary said, you're not your father and I'm not your mother. It was cancer, Mary. That's not how cancer works. <laughs> what the fuck? So weird. It So I honest to God, I felt like Mary thought, you know what? When they make a podcast about this 16 years from now, I might lose claim to this being a Bad Mary episode. Let me go ahead and push it on my chips right now. Maybe they'll even hit me with the drop for a second time. Hit the music. You got it, Mary. This one's for you. Whoa, Bad Mary episode. Whoa, Bad Mary episode. It's a Bad Mary episode. A very Bad Mary episode. Smiley guy hands Danny a pocket translator saying, saying to Mary, Mary. And instead, I think it should say, please kill yeah. me. Or just shut the fuck up. Sam wakes up on the floor of Mystique, having not remembered anything that happened to her since the lights went out. God, how nice that would be. Mitch shows up on the floor with the pocket UV, and all of a sudden, there are security guards again. I guess they were all trapped in the walk-in freezer and now have been let loose again? Yeah, the, the airlock hallway separating security from the main floor locked them in. Uh, I, I, yeah, who knows? It's, it's so bad. Ed's conducting his ersatz gunshot residue test, and a few people in Blondie down at the end makes a break for it. And of course, she pops positive. She, she was not wearing a mask. She was within six feet of people. <laughs> she was not practicing good hygiene. Of course, she's got it. The denouement of the episode at the beautiful wax. Ed's debriefing the staff. Lady killed her husband, not because it was a blue moon, as Mike would have you believe, but because the dude was cheating on her. Ed wants Mike to go see someone about his claustrophobia. And I don't think that's how that works. No, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's a, uh, there's not a pill for that. Yeah, it's not like, a, oh, Let's just talk your way out of a phobia, but I don't know, maybe. We get the reappearance of the streakers. Two questions here. How are they not getting in trouble? No idea. And where were they during the lockdown? <laughs> also an excellent question. I, w- I would have actually very much enjoyed if just like randomly in the background, you saw the two naked dudes running around during the blackout. <laughs> or just standing calmly with their hands in front of their junk, like... <laughs> We're respecting the calm with which everyone else has approached the situation. They, they've got, but we are still they've naked. They've got the old timey slot machine coin buckets covering their junk. And one guy's able to not hold it with his hands because <laughs> you know he's gotten a boner. I really enjoyed when when we were talking about how the the lady shot him because she was his wife and he was cheating on her. And Mike says something, and it was either Nessa or Delinda hits him and goes, "Don't cheat on your wife." And Mike goes, "I have no wife," which again. Not since episode one, he hasn't. How the Mike's loving family got Damnatio Memoriae out of the show, I still don't <laughs> understand. We go to Danny and Mary, and they're holding hands, sitting next to each other, and they're fine. Things are better. They're going to go fuck after this. Like, fuck off. I hate you both. <laughs> we get a lingering skyline shot of the strip, and I try to take this opportunity to place the Montecito. And I have bad news for you, Ed. Uh-oh. That, uh oh. Those skyline shots are comped images. I mean, obviously, we knew the Montecito was dropped in because it's not real, but they've rearranged many buildings on the strip. Really? Yeah. So the only way you had Luxor on the left and you had the MGM Grand on the right. And the only way that works is if you're east of the strip looking west. And they've got the, the Rio in the middle there when really the Rio's back behind. Caesars. So it, it turns out they just photoshopped the whole fucking thing, made a, a jumble of the of the skyline and, and everything is bullshit. Seems weird when it's like Las Vegas skyline shots are fairly accessible. Well, and I thought that, you know, just put it at the end south of Mandalay. Like, yeah, it, I did go down this rabbit hole, though, of the casinos that are now open in Vegas is I was trying to piece together this shot. And there is a... Um, 
there's a new so do you remember it was the um let me find it real quick like cromwell yeah okay so on the strip it is the and this is just a complete tangent um there was a up until 2007 the barbary coast Okay. Do you remember that? We never stayed there because we're not animals. I, I, I but, honestly don't. So it was um, directly across from Caesars. So oh. Like if you're at, and I think that's where, like, on the side, they always had the Donnie and Marie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Giant fucking, like, painted onto the building. Right. And that became Bill's gambling hall and saloon or whatever. Ga- yeah, gambling hall and saloon. Mm-hmm. And 2014... It got rebranded again, and I'm sure we've noticed, but haven't given a shit. It's now the Cromwell. Um, but what? why I bring this up is they just reopened in, like two or three days ago after the pandemic. They're one of the last ones to reopen because I guess a lot of these you know, multi-property organizations like Caesars and, and uh, MGM were doing staged reopens mm-hmm. or staggered reopens. Uh, they just opened up as a adults only property. You have to be 21 or older to stay there. Now we're talking. Uh, with the exception of their Giada restaurant, Giada De Laurentiis apparently has a restaurant on the property. We're we're one step closer to the casino we've always wanted of adults only and no smoking. Well, and it's uh, it's Giada's first restaurant. So I thought she had one in L.A. Uh, no. Huh. She has a second one that opened up in Caesars in 2018, Pronto by Giada. And apparently she's going to open up one uh, or has in a casino in Maryland. But that was her first, Giada. Interesting. It's good to know she yeah. has a fast food version too. Go ahead. Because it's Pronto. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, Ed, did you like the episode? You know, I thought I had a lot of great... No! Jesus, God, no. This was so bad. The only thing I liked was Sam losing her mind. Is this the new worst episode in your mind that we've reviewed? Is it worse than the Diva it one? It is indeed. And I don't, I don't think it's particularly close either. I thought this was... So I hated it. But I thought this was a tale of two episodes. If we get excise all the Danny and Mary stuff... And look, like we said at the top, you have to suspend a lot of disbelief. But if you could cut out the elevator shit, it might have actually been a fun bottle episode. Sure. But holy shit, I wanted that elevator to crash. Yeah. Just get to the 54th story and then have the emergency brakes give out and we'd lose Danny and that would be sad, but whatever. The show would be fine. Yeah. we. That's the Donnie, Donnie McCoy can take his rightful yeah, exactly. claim to the throne. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it is just so bad. I don't, I don't care about this relationship. I don't want to hear about it ever again. It's, it's so bad. It's bad. Yeah. Uh, do we have a new chip leader? That's the real question. And before you answer, I've got a question for you. Yes. Are the only players in this poker tournament characters of the show, or is it anyone involved with the show? Mm, that's an interesting question. I I think to date, at least I had been considering it only for characters, but since we're making up the game as we go, I'm I'm willing to open it up if you had something in mind. I think Vanessa Marceau comes out of nowhere and makes a compelling argument that she is the only good thing about this episode. Not Sam, but the actor Vanessa Marceau dominated. I can support that. If we expand it to include not just the characters, I'd like to posit that she's the new chip leader. That said, Ed, I thought, was very good in this episode. He was he was the best character in the episode. My My problem with Ed was still the... There, there seemed to be a grave lack of concern for one, the fact that a murder had just taken place on the property, and two, it happened right next to his daughter. There, there should have been a little more cer- sense of urgency. I don't know. I, I think, like. I think, I think early on when we first come back to security after the power's gone out, he's talking to Mitch about like he's got to find the girls. He even says Delinda and the girls, like he's you know stressing that. And I think also you know this guy's a. a 30 plus year veteran of the agency. Like he's probably used to compartmentalizing. What's mm. what's being afraid going to do? I not, not afraid, but I, I guess I was looking for more the early sense of urgency that you mentioned. He, he sure did let up and get pretty jokey pretty quick is more what struck yeah. me. But, uh, 
Well, remember, he also decided during it that it was a crime of passion. Mm, that's not a pro. So he's thinking everyone's probably safe. That's fair. That's very fair. Um, I think I'm I'm going to agree with you that Vanessa Marcel, the actress, is the new chip leader. However, since we've opened this up, I do want to bring up, do we need to retroactively also consider the mustache designer on the show for the greatest mustache in the history of fake TV mustaches? I'm going to punish you for this joke later. <laughs> I just want you to remember when I do that this is why it happened. <sighs> That's disappointing, but fair. I thought you were going to bring up the uh, the Craps Brothers as being a Dark Horse contender for star of the episode. The Resnicks? Yeah. I Man, I wish we knew more about the Resnicks. Don't we all? Ed, what do we have on tap for next week? Next week on Pod at the Montecito, things that go jump in the night. We're staying with spooky season. Danny and Ed use a little Las Vegas magic to convince a suicidal hotel guest not to take a jump off the Montecito roof. But the plan backfires when the man, guest star John Lovitz, discovers a winning streak at the tables that could sink the casino. Fuck. Meanwhile, Fuck. Sam gets caught in a nasty love triangle with a handsome client, guest star Brian Austin Green, and his fiance, guest star Paris Hilton. Fuck. So I only vaguely recall this episode. I take it from your excited utterances that this is not a, uh, not a favorite of yours. I like how you're going to go ahead and sneak in the hearsay exception of that. Uh, I don't remember this specific episode, but I do remember Paris Hilton being horrible. See, I never trusted those supermodel bitches. I also remember that John Lovitz is a recurring character who I hate. I think I hate most of the time. Um, And it's worth noting that on IMDb's user ratings, this is far and away the lowest scoring episode of the season. Just, Just for my own edification... What was the episode we just talked about's rating compared to next week's? This was a 7.4. Incorrect. Out of, out of next, like, 350? Next week's is a 6.2. Oof. Um, no other episode is in the sixes. Yikes. And that's a low six. Yeah. The, uh, our, our previous to this least favorite, The Luck Be a Lady, was a 7.3. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Well... I was I was going to say it's a shame that we didn't have our hiatus beginning after this episode so that we would be so happy to get back and well we would be so fine with going away for a month because this episode was so bad and then we'd be ready to kind of come back full of vim and vigor but uh it sounds like this we're just in a bad run right now well hopefully our dear devoted audience will have stuck with us through the hiatus and then through these uh couple of rough episodes. I don't remember there being quite so many stinkers in season one, but hopefully this is just a blip on the radar. I I think it's going to be. I think we're going to make it through. Well, Ed, it's been a while, but do you have any wisdom you'd like to drop on our audience? Kids, instead of holding out on being friend-zoned for five years like a whiny little child, maybe just talk it out early on. Get it off your chest. And if somebody doesn't want to have sex with you, just go have sex with somebody else. I mean, especially that that last part seems like pretty good advice. I, I like to think so. All right. Well, remember I told you you're going to get punished. I've been Judson. He's been Mr. Ed. Uh, and this you. has been Pod I've, at I've, the I've, I've killed one producer for that. Don't think I won't take out a co-host. Deuces. And did you hurt yourself? No, my leg just crapped up. Okay. You're gonna you're gonna push through the yeah, pain. We're, we're, we're gonna, I mean, we've been pushing through the pain for the last hour and a half of recording this episode. So why stop now? Uh, I was hoping you were gonna uh, go with that uh, when Casey gets a paper cut. Thought about it.